Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. But uh, at this stage in the game, we are what we are. Amen. And I'm just have a, uh, a mandate from heaven that he told me to preach the word years ago of a 12-year-old boy. And so I tried to preach it then. I tried to preach it for six years on the evangelist field. I tried to preach it as associate pastor. And now I'm endeavoring to do that now as a pastor, to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, right? Man, with all long-suffering and doctrine. Amen. And so I'm going to do the best of my ability. Just stay the course. Amen. Just stay the course and preach the word. Hallelujah. Judges chapter 15. Thank you for standing while I just rambled there for a moment. Judges 15 and verse number 14 starting. The Bible says this is this. The context of all this is the story of Samson. And it's so when it speaks of he, it's speaking of him. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. That oft times happened for Samson. The cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire and his bands loose from off his hands. He found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand, took it and slew a thousand men therewith. Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass have I slain a thousand men. It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramath Lehi. Remember the Bible said in verse 14 that he came into Lehi. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily denote that it was necessarily already named that. Amen. Lehi basically means jawbone. Ramath Lehi means the height, if you will, of the jawbone. In verse 18, the Bible says he was sore athirst and called on the Lord. Everybody say he called on the Lord. And said, thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst? fall into the hand of the uncircumcised but God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw and there came water thereout and when he had drunk his spirit came again and he revived wherefore he called the name thereof in Hakor, which is in Lehi until this day Amen. For a little while tonight, it will probably be that. Time is our enemy. It can be our friend and it can be our enemy. I don't know how many times I walk to this pulpit on Sunday nights just wishing I just had a little bit more time left in my week. But for most sakes, it's usually expired and I come here. I wish I had a little bit more time. Amen. To polish this a little bit better. But here we are. I'd like to minister to you the prayer spring. The prayer spring. Amen. This evening. Will you help me pray right now, Father? I come to you. 
God, I'm grateful, Lord, for every song, the anointed singing, the anointed playing of the musicians tonight. God, your spirit that we have felt, Lord, in this place, God, that has come down and lighted upon each of us in some way and fashion. I pray, oh, Lord, now, God, through the preaching of your word, let that same spirit, God, light upon our hearts and upon our minds and God, let it, Lord, orientate our steps. I pray, God, for when we leave this place, God, I'll give you the glory and the praise for what you're capable of doing in this house. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say, God bless you. Amen tonight in Jesus' name. The prayer, the prayer spring. The prayer spring. Samson in his lifetime had experienced the spirit of the Lord moving upon him at sundry times. The Bible would speak to us that even shortly after he had matured in his life that he experienced the spirit of the Lord moving upon him. And he would all times go forth and do great exploits for God. The Bible tells us that he was born unto his mother and to his father. And that he would begin to be the deliverer for Israel. And what happens in our story here tonight is nothing less than what has happened in previous stories in Samson's life. That he would come forth as a deliverer and wielding much power and much strength to do havoc, if you will, upon the enemies of the Lord, which at this time were the Philistines. The Philistines were in a 40-year trek, if you will, of being oppressors against the Israelites. And so the Bible says that not uncommon, here is another episode in Scripture, that the Philistines are coming out against Samson, The Bible says that they shout against Samson. And many times the shouting or the voice even of your adversary is set up being very bold and boisterous because it has some psychological damage that it places upon you when your enemy shouts or voices against you. And so he shouted, they shouted against him and he comes forth and what he had been bound with is broken and it's burned as though it was with burned with fire. The Bible says that as he searched around for an instrument of war, understanding that during this time, this is a time that there were no weapons of war found among Israel. There were not even any smiths in the land to fashion any instruments of war. That The Bible says that Samson came upon a new jawbone of a donkey, or as Scripture would say, an ass. Came upon a new jawbone, and he put forth his hand, and he took of this new jawbone. And a jawbone of a donkey really isn't all folks that big. As a matter of fact, fact, they say an average jawbone of a donkey is about nine inches long and weighs a little less than a pound, but he finds this new jawbone. He didn't pick up an old 
brittle jawbone that may have been lying around, but he found a new jawbone, perhaps with a slight curve, maybe with some of the teeth of the donkey left in the bone, thinking I can do a little bit more havoc with this instrument of war. It'll be an effective weapon. And as he goes forth and puts forth his hand, the Bible says that he slew a thousand men with a new jawbone of a donkey. And Samson saying heaps upon heaps. He's speaking, if you will, of the bodies of those that he have slain. Heaps upon heaps. I've slain a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And he had not no sooner been victorious over his adversary. Not any sooner been victorious over his enemy. Amen. That he speaks of this place as the height of the jawbone. And he had not no sooner just finished slaying the thousands and the last of the thousand that the Bible says that he was sore athirst. And it was in that moment that he called upon the name of the Lord. There's something very special about this juncture in the road for Samson. He seems to be the lone ranger, if you will. He seems to be different than the other judges that were before him. Other judges that preceded him, they would gather armies together out of the Israelites and they would go to battle against their adversary. But not Samson. He seems to be the lone ranger of the group. He's not gathering together no army. He's not marshalling any soldiers or any men. But seemingly time after time by himself, he is going forward and he's wielding a sword, wielding a jawbone, taking the gates of the city. And many, if not most times, it is all by himself. And so it's very easy whenever you're going forth and doing battle and nobody else is there with you. Nobody else is linking arm with you. Nobody else has a shield or a sword or any other weapon of war next to you. That whenever the battle is over and the victory has been secured, it would be very easily to start to assume that that is something that you have done and that you have accomplished all by yourself be very easy to start assuming the mentality that I got this thing whipped. I got this thing secured. There's, there's nothing that can come my way that I cannot conquer, that I cannot overcome. All the judges before me, they may have and need their marshalling armies, but I can just go forth and I can do, uh, amen, what I can do because of my strength and my ability and my ferocity and my tenacity and my ability. But the Bible says on this occasion it was different maybe perhaps then from some others because whenever he finished his victory and is speaking in that first pronoun there talking about I have slain thousands and there's heaps upon heaps maybe a little insight into Samson thinking I've done it again I've done it again all by myself I've accomplished this and I have done this no sooner had that victory come to a finality the 
But the Bible says that Samson is struck with a sore thirst. And it's in that moment where he was just celebrating his own, what he perceived to be victory. He says, I've been now struck with a sore thirst. And the Bible says he called on the Lord. This is the first time we see in the life of Samson that he had ever called on the name of the Lord. This is the first time we ever see Samson taking a place of humility in his humanity to call upon a power that was greater and mightier than himself. He had tore, if you will, a lion, amen, with his bare hands. He had slain his thousands, but now there came a thirst upon the natural man that he said, if something doesn't take place, if something doesn't happen, there's something standing before me that I can't whip by myself, and perceivably I'll be a dead man if I don't have the intervention of the almighty God. Can someone say amen? And so he finds his place of humility now. The man that would go forth and conquer and was the Lone Ranger and seemingly, and I say that very cautiously, and seemingly could do it all by himself. He's met now with something in his life that he can't grab a jawbone and conquer. He's met right now with something in his life that his own hands cannot rip or settle the issue. He's met right now with something in his life that he does not have the answer to. So he he prays and he calls upon the name of the Lord and he now takes his role of humility and he says God have you given me this great deliverance amen have you given me this great deliverance the hand of your servant that now I should die for thirst where a few moments ago he was saying I got this thing whipped there's nothing that can't come my way that I can't conquer he's now changing his tune a little bit. He's saying, Lord, you've given me this deliverance and God, if you want me to walk the road, you gave me the deliverance with the lion and God, if you want me to walk the road, you gave me the deliverance with the 30 men that I took the garments from. If you I want to caution us as a church tonight. I want to caution us as a group of people that it's very easy in our walk with God to get to a place that there are opposition and obstacle that comes and go. And we leave those places sometimes unscathed. And it seems like nobody were marshalling arm to arm next to us. And it seems like we were able to do it without even uttering a word of prayer or help to the greater power. And we came out unscathed. And it's in moments like that that I get this preconceived or misconception rather that I can just go on in my Christian life and I just can go on in my life with God and it doesn't matter what will come I'll come out on the other side like I did before it doesn't matter what hell comes my way or temptation comes my way I've did it before and I can do it again but I'm here to caution us tonight if we assume that attitude if we assume that type of mindset God will cause something to enter our life that there's nothing within our own power. Amen. That will cause us to come out on the other side unscathed. He'll take us to a valley of humility and cause us to cry out to God and say Lord someone say amen. He says, Have you, you've given me this great deliverance. And notice his posture. Notice his wording. Into the hand of thy servant. 
What he omitted in those few words is this. I'm not working alone. And I'm not the master of my own destiny. I'm working for another. I'm the servant of another. I'm the slave of another. It would be the device of the adversary to find you and I as a lone ranger in this Christian walk thinking we are masters of our own destiny and masters of our own plan. Amen. And just, if you will, set in our own sail to the wind. But it is a sense of strength and a sense of authority and a sense of power that comes when we come to the house of God and say, God, I'm not a master of anything, but I'm a servant of yours. I'm a slave of yours. I could even walk if you wasn't holding my hand. God. Someone say hallelujah. He says, have you, have you brought me through this great, 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 great deliverance now that I should die for thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. Now look what happens here. The Bible says in verse 19, that God, everybody say God. God, clave and hollow place that was in the jaw. Now you can read this seven different ways from Sunday. Some believe that this was this, this, this was a place that was in the actual jawbone. Or if you read that Lehi meant jaw, that it was a place that was clave in the ground or in the place of Lehi. That's what I favor. But if God wanted to make it come out of the jawbone, he could have made it come out of the jawbone. But nevertheless, God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw. And the Bible says there came water Therefore, and Samson, he had drunk, amen, and the Bible says his spirit came alive and revived. And after he had had this experience, here he is, he, he's, he's, he's very thirsty, he might be getting delirious, he's a little dehydrated. God, if you don't do something, I'm not gonna be able to pull through this. God, if you don't show up, God, 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 having that first prayer that we ever have recorded of Samson, and God answers by hallowing out a spot, and causing there to be a well, if you will, hollowing out a spot and causing there to be water. And after uh, Samson drunk of that, the Bible says his spirit came again and he was revived. And Samson says, I gotta name this. I gotta call this something. And the Bible says he called it in Hakor, which is in Lehi, until this day. In other words, what happened in that scenario was not a temporal water source that was birthed that day by the hand of God but there was a water source that resulted from a man's cry there's a water source that resulted from a man's cry so much so that the writer of Judges says it's still there unto this day Amen. The word that he named that water source, the word that he named that place, Samson said in Hakor, which means this, the spring of the man who prayed and the spring of the man who prayed, the writer says, is still yet there. To Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's a spring of the man who prayed and it's still there today. As a matter of fact, from my studies, from my studies, there is an area over there, amen, that there are people known back in the time of Jerome, writers in the 7th century, writers in the 12th century, writers in the 14th century that still speak of a jawbone spring that's in that area. But it all came about about, not because a man thought he could do it by himself, not because he could walk in authority by himself, but because a man that cast his care upon the Lord and cried out and prayed to God, it hewed out a well of water that wasn't just for the moment, but that would be for many days that would come. Some would say glory. And I admit to you tonight that the prayer that Samson prayed is not like the most elaborate prayer there ever was. I think if my counting was right, I may have missed a few words, I don't know. But just a short 27-word prayer that Samson prays right here. But it was enough that God would take his hand and hollow out a spot. <laughs> and cause there to be water that would come forth that day and every day thereafter because it was the product of the prayer of a man. Someone say glory. Folks, if God could cause water come from a flinty stone called the rock that followed them in the wilderness, if he can take bitter water and say throw a tree in it and it'll become sweet, then God can take a land or a jawbone and hollow out a spot and make it a place. I want you to notice now, this wasn't just a quenching of the natural man. The Bible says after Samson drunk of this well that he was refreshed and he was revived. But that well was the product of his very own prayer. We are cutting our own throats if we do not maintain the well of our prayer lives because the same prayer that you pray is gonna you away on your life that you can go back and get refreshed and revived by talking about a prayer spring. <laughs> prayer spring. Hallelujah. It's something. Listen. I know we talk about it. We're going to talk about it till Jesus comes. We talk about this concept. We talk about this idea. But folks, it does not take, it does not take something elaborate. It does not take King James Version language in order to reach heaven. Amen. It doesn't take all that. It doesn't take standing on your head with your feet up against the wall. You know, sometimes we get these weird ideas or we get these different things that we perceive in our mind that the prayer's got to be just like this or just so long or just so so in order for it to reach heaven or God to listen or God to hear. But that is not the case at all. As a matter of fact, when 
when I read in the Old Testament, when I read in the Old Testament, the Lord was speaking to Moses concerning the framing, or if you will, the making of altars. He told him very plainly. He said, listen here, Moses. He says, you can make an altar however you wish to make an altar. He says, the only thing is this. Don't, don't you try to make it. Don't you try to make it from silver or gold or anything you're going to take a graving tool upon because you might be tempted to make that thing into an image, something that, that you're, you, you know and something that you're familiar with. And I don't want my altar to be like that. He said, you, you can make it out of unhewn stones if you want to. And you, 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 as long as you don't take a graving tool upon the stoves, stones and try to fashion them. And he basically told him this. He said, as a matter of fact, you don't have to have silver for an altar. You don't have to have gold, something as precious as that for an altar. You don't even have to have stones for an altar, Moses. If you want to, you can just make an altar of earth. You know what God was telling Moses? Moses, you don't have to have some superfluous altar. You don't have to have something that's all ornate and decorated. Santa, listen here. Moses, all you need is just a simple I think some people are cutting their own throat. They're trying to aspire for the hour and a half. and They're trying to aspire for 30 minutes speaking in tongues in the heavenly language and 30 minutes speaking with their own understanding. Listen here, folks. It don't have to be silver. It don't have to be gold. It don't have to be stone. If you can just get a simple altar constructed, he'll somehow get the ear of God and he'll hollow out a spot. Someone say Amen. Amen. How about a, a prayer spring? If I'm thinking about this prayer spring or this prayer well as we were, whenever I consider the, the idea of a spring or a well, my mind races to the Old Testament scripture how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were diggers of wells. Diggers, if you will, of springs. The Bible says in Abraham's day that he dug some wells. Wells that were well enough intact. Wells that were deep enough that he could pass on that legacy unto his son Isaac. Insomuch the Bible says that Isaac would go back and he would redig the wells of his father because of the adversary or those that were opposing him had filled up the wells with earth. And when they were filled up with earth, you couldn't get to the water. And the only way to get to the water was to remove the earthly again. Someone say amen. I don't know if it's like the, the parable of the tares when the enemy snuck in at night and unawares of the one who owned the field and sowed the tares in the evening time. But I feel like sometimes the adversary in the lateness of the hour is sneaking in and putting earth back in some prayer springs and prayer wells that we had. And it's the old flesh, worldly carnality that doesn't want to go to the well or doesn't want to ask God for the digging of a well. But I'm here to tell you, if you maintain the spot, maintain the spring, maintain the activity. You don't have to worry about no earth getting in there. You don't have to worry about any debris getting in there. You don't have to. Man, it was a good enough well for Isaac. He redug it. And Jacob evidently dug some because all the way in the New Testament scripture, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman, amen, by Jacob's well. 
and is able and had been able evidently to draw from it. God delights in our prayers. God delights in the fact that he has a people that admits that they need him. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, in verse number 8 tonight, if I turn there, Proverbs 15, verse number 18, verse number 8, rather media may get it. The Bible says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But prayer, I want to say but prayer. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. <laughs> I'm going to hold you much longer. But I want to turn your attention to one other verse of scripture. In 2 Chronicles, well known. But in 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7, there are some verses of scripture right there I wish to call to your attention. Namely, verse number 1. Now what has been happening here is Solomon has been busy about the construction of the house of God. He's been very busy about all the furnishings and the furniture that they would be made according to the pattern that was shown to David, his father, and passed on down to him. He was very cautious. He was very careful to do it just as it was prescribed. And after everything was said and done, he had a dedication and he had multitude of sacrifices that was involved in this dedication insomuch that he had to sanctify and hollow a piece of ground in order to contain all of the offerings and sacrifices for the Lord because the altar was not sufficient or large enough to handle all the sacrifices for the dedication and it was after that the Bible says he stood upon that scaffolding as it describes it and he began to pray a prayer and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and the Bible says in 2nd Chronicles 7 and verse number 1 now when Solomon had made an end of praying the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house alright now watch it here watch it here go on down if you will to verse number 12. <laughs> the Bible says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Someone say amen. Whenever God met him at that point of time, God says he already came down with fire. He already came down with some type of presence. The glory of the Lord filled the house. But when he had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Solomon, he did not tell Solomon and say, hey, I've seen all of the sacrifices that you have done. That was not the verbiage that he said to Solomon. I've seen the ground you had to hollow on the, oh, for the purpose of taking care of all the sacrifices that you brought. That's not what he said. He did not say, Solomon, I see the seven years that you've been building and superintending the work of God, the house.
house of God, making sure the laver's the way it should be and, and the, the, the lampstand is the way it should be. That's not what he pointed out when he had a one-on-one conversation with Solomon. What he said was this, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard your prayer greater than what you've been building, greater than what you've been sacrificing. I've heard the prayer of a man. And based on your prayer, I'm going to choose this place for myself. A place that is a house of sacrifice. What are you saying, God? I'm going to carve out a spot right here and put a well of living water right here. And any time you need refreshing, and any time you need revival, you can resort to that place. Someone say glory. <laughs> Someone say amen. Uh Hallelujah. Let me say this, that there is a revival that comes by prayer. There's a reviving and a refreshing that can only sometimes come through and by prayer. He said in that first verse that whenever Solomon had made an end a praying, the fire fell. The glory filled the house. Someone say amen. But we can't finish praying till we start praying. We can't make an end if there's been no beginning. The fire fell at the finality. The glory and the awe of his presence happened at the finishing point. That meant somewhere along the line, Solomon had to begin. Solomon had to begin. Solomon had to commence on his journey of prayer. I want the fire and I want the presence, but it's only gonna happen when I finish my prayer. So folks, what that means for me is this. I wanna be hurried. I wanna be anxious about starting my prayer because I know his glory's gonna come when I finish. I know his power's gonna come when I finish. I know the revival's gonna come from the well or the spring of my prayer. I said there's a revival, a revival that comes by prayer. There is, there is a source of revival. There's a source of revival that can be created by prayer. The verse that we're accustomed to, the verse that we memorize and embed in our heart is verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble. There's Samson again. This ain't my deliverance, God. You brought this. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm not the Lone Ranger. I'm your servant. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Not humble themselves and build a temple. Not humble themselves and make their so many sacrifices. You have to hallow ground in order to contain it. But if my people pray, he says, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
then, everybody say then, will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm telling you folks, there is a revival. There is a revival. There is a revival that comes by prayer. There's a well. There's a spring that's created that brings refreshing and revival by prayer. He'll heal your land. He'll heal your sickness and your disease. He will forgive your sin. But it's cause a man kneeled down and prayed. Someone say amen. If you'll stand with me this evening. So as it was then, in the land of Lehi, the jawbone, even at the 14th century. We're talking about birth of Christ forward here. I hope you understand. There was still a well, a spring. Men, women could refresh them by, but it was the product prayer of a man you know what's important about prayer is this is that prayer does not just serve your generation prayer serves generations long after you're dead We have evidence in our family. Grandma McGee, prayer she had prayed that after her body was already cold in the ground, somebody was refreshing themselves by a whale that resulted from a long prayer of an old woman somewhere in the three o'clocks of the morning. Did it benefit her? I guarantee you it benefited her. But she understood the principle of the matter. It wasn't just serving her generation. It was serving many generations too. It's still there yet to this Whenever I think of the children of Israel and they came, they came over the sea, and they are thirsty and run into the bitter waters. You remember the next place they went to? The 12 wells of Elam, I believe the name of them was. The 12 wells of Elam. You know, those 12 wells were there and afforded them, afforded them quenching their thirst because somewhere along the way someone had dug some wells in a generation perhaps prior to them ever trampling that ground, ever. If I could just somehow embed it in our hearts and minds, Brother brother Trout, every time we kneel to pray, whether it's in the morning or in the evening, or whether it's in our times before church, every time we kneel down and pray, and we say, God, I can't make it without you. I can't get through this without you. 
God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the master of my own destiny. You're, you're my master. I'm your servant. When we start praying to God, every time we pray, God says, wait a minute. Let me hollow out a place. <laughs> I don't know how many hoes are over there in that prayer room. I don't know how many hoes are back there. I don't know how many hoes you got in your house. But every time you kneel down and pray with that type of attitude, God says, let me carve out a place and provide some water. And the amazing thing is this. It doesn't fade. It doesn't dissipate. It doesn't disappear. But every prayer that you prayed, there's a well that's linked to it. Every prayer that you've prayed, there's a well that is linked to it. And not only will it serve your generation, but it will serve generations to come. And so my idea is this. You can never have too many wells. You can never have too many water sources. You can never have too many places where there can be some life-sustaining power to come from. Because listen, folks, there's sometimes I need revival when I'm at home. There's sometimes I need refreshment at the house. And I would to God that somewhere in my past I prayed so that there could be a well I could go by. There's sometimes in the middle of church I need revival. There's sometimes in the middle of the best of services, Paul McGee needs a refreshing. Honey, if I go back to that old spot where I kneeled before, I'll kneel this time with a bucket in my hand and be able to bring up some water. Prayer spring. Can we bow our heads across this place? A prayer, a prayer, a prayer spring. Honey, there's none of us making this journey by ourselves. And if you've been able to conquer and you've been able to seize and you've come out unscathed, thank the Lord because that who is needing thanked. It hasn't been by your power or your ability or just because as I spoke this morning that you're lucky. It's been the divine providence in the hand of God. And whenever we identify that, we humble ourselves and we, we own that. And we make a humble prayer to the Lord. Even it, Listen, that's the only prayer we have recorded. The first prayer that is of Samson. It's his first prayer. But God says, I don't care if it's your first prayer or if it's your 50th prayer. If you have that type of attitude, I'll hollow out a spot. So I'm telling somebody tonight, it's not like you, you. Well, you give me 10 weeks. Get 10 weeks. You practice real good and you come and you yield a prayer like that to God. And you just, no, no, no. I'm telling you, if this is the first time that you've allowed those words fall off your lips whenever it wasn't asked of you, God says, I'll hollow out, I'll carve out a spot. There'll be a prayer spring that I'll establish in your life. It'll bring refreshment. It'll bring revival. It'll help heal your land. It'll help forgive your sin. It'll help cure disease. Because men and women go on their knees and pray. You don't have to be seeing anything fancy. Just render him a simple altar. Just rendering a simple altar. And when you do, watch what God does. He'll cause an artesian well. These altars are open tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you, and have a blessed day.